Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to another episode of Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkopf, Managing Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Ellie Sheckett, Staff Writer at Jezebel. I'm subbing in for Prachi, who's on vacation This Wednesday at 12.06 a.m., President Donald Trump tweeted, despite the constant negative press, Kofefe. The president apparently grabbed his phone, fired up his Twitter app, and said something incoherent. The hashtag Kofefe has been trending number one worldwide on Twitter since he posted that. Uh, Kofefe is a Yiddish term for I gotta go to bed now. (laughs) Six hours later, the tweet had been deleted, and he had tweeted... Who can figure out the true meaning of kofefe? Enjoy. I, I think that I just want to say unrelated to anything when Donald Trump, whenever he's like trying to like be with it, he says enjoy. And I think it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like, here, I'm trying to be funny so hard. Enjoy and me. Ew. Enjoy this. It's Ugh. like, well, no, I can I'm only not... think of him like eating a piece of cake or like gross. something like. Uh, ew. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, not to be like a humorless witch, and maybe I'm just bitter because I was asleep and I missed the joke entirely. I I just feel like Kofefe was possibly funny when it happened, but literally by the time I woke up, it was no longer <laughs> funny. So my stance on it is that it's bad and we should forget it ever happened and never say that word again. Counterpoint. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> and as evidence of my counterpoint, I will cite a tweet from Twitter tweet from Twitter at By Your Logic. Okay. Okay. And the tweet is while you were making jokes about Trump's tweet, I was reading every single Google search result for quote problems in Africa. <laughs> That's like okay, fine. That's a good tweet. Fine. That's just my evidence. <laughs> I mean, in general, Twitter has been a lot lately. Yes. Um, not that I can really talk because I don't tweet, but something stupid happens and then everybody does their jokes. And some of the jokes are really good, but then the jokes don't stop. And then Ted Cruz <laughs> is tweeting about it. And I want to fling myself into the ocean, <laughs> Joanna. I get it for sure. <laughs> I totally get it. I also feel like let them eat kofefe. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels a little bit like we are collectively losing our shit. I think everyone's losing their shit, and it's just like people are like— I also 
I also was asleep for it. I'm not defending Kofefe. I think many of the jokes were deeply unfunny. <laughs> not I to hate defend Kofefe. Okay, not to defend Kofefe. <laughs> but I am putting myself in the shoes of people who were awake when the tweet okay. was sent. Fair. And I'm trying to think how funny that would be of everyone being tired and looped out and confused and being like, what is Kofefe? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and everybody just enjoy Joanna's beautiful pronunciation. I want to just I want to just note that Joanna's a fluent French speaker, so I think that's helping her on her end. <laughs> I mean, sure, it's a French word. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So anyways, uh, something that weird that happened, <laughs> weirder <laughs> that happened, um, Sean Spicer in a press gaggle off camera. <laughs> he, has, uh, he doesn't go on camera. He, yeah, anymore. he's not, which is a huge loss. Um, uh-huh. he, he was asked about this. Somebody was like, so why did this tweet stay up for hours um is like is nobody watching this and he was like no i I think the the uh the president and a small group of people know exactly what he meant (laughs) he really like was doubling down on Kofefe even after Donald Trump had joked about it on the it's even after Donald Trump had told us to enjoy Sean Spicer is just like in terror at all times and can't even make a joke about a typo. I know. I mean, that's kind of like the beauty of Kofefe that like, I don't even like Kofefe that much. I don't know why I've become like the Kofefe spokeswitch, but. Kofefe apologist over here. But like all the Trump people are so bad and humorless that like he can't even admit it was a stupid mistake as like the Kofefe haters would say it's a stupid mistake. Like, they are so insecure and tight-assed. Yeah, he had to imply that it was some kind of mysterious code. Right. He had <laughs> like, to say what? it was code. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, we're focusing on Kofefe so we don't cry. I mean, Kofefe <laughs> is the French word for butthole, so yeah, okay. only fluent French, French speakers know that yeah, that's what it is. It's a secret that only, <laughs> that only people who double yeah. major in French and swiftly forgot it. <laughs> well, no. This week, we're speaking with the Environmental Defense Fund's International Counsel, Annie Petsonk, about the Paris Climate Agreement and what will happen when Trump pulls out. The rest of the world is going to feel that the United States is the one that's not behaving fairly, and they may impose trade sanctions on us, and they would be perfectly justified in doing so. But first, our week in weenies. Our first weenie is Daryl Issa. Um, There are 435 members of the House of Representatives, and a good number of them are fucking nutbags. <laughs> Yet, I never seem to stop hearing about Daryl Issa. I know, Daryl Issa is on the tips of everyone's tongues. <laughs> um, he's a Republican congressman from California's 49th district. Just for some fun background on Daryl, he's okay. the richest member of Congress. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he is, um, and he's which is saying something, and uh, he's one of— uh, the the Republican Party's most vulnerable 2018 incumbents. He has been accused of auto theft a number of times and was even indicted once, although ironically he's made a lot of money in the car alarm business. What are you talking it's, about? It's crazy. I just, you know, there's a good New Yorker story <laughs> okay, about okay. Daryl that I recommend everyone read. He was also arrested once for carrying a concealed weapon, and he has been accused of arson. <laughs> um, this person? He was also, okay, one more deal. Yeah. He was once escorted out of a Benghazi panel by Trey Gowdy, which is kind of like Lucius Malfoy telling somebody to, like, stop doing so much dark to, magic. To, like, be less evil. Yeah, I'm really sorry for the Harry Potter joke. I, I know we've had too many of those Re- in these How about times. you read another book? <laughs> 
<laughs> but and with Trey Gowdy, say. it's really, really hard not to make a He's Malfoy very joke. very Malfoy-ish. Yeah. In his face and demeanor. Yeah, for sure. And body. So, and this week, he was seen standing on the roof of his congressional office building while a group of protesters crowded below. It really did look like he was hiding from his constituents in the stupidest possible way. Although his communications director assured me that he had simply been trying to photograph them, which I don't, I don't. And then know he why. later tweeted the pictures, being like, "Look, just popped up under the yeah, roof he for was a like, photo." Yeah, he took the photo to to make it look like he had a reason to be there, and then posted the photo to just sort of double down on that. I, but I don't, I just don't understand why he was up there. Let's also just like assume. Let's just take him at his word, give him the benefit of the doubt that he did go up on the roof to take a picture. He's still a politician. In what world does he think that? Standing on the roof by himself is a good image to yeah, have. I don't know. Like, why does he need that picture? He like, like clearly what he hasn't seen the office. Yeah. Um, so Isa told another reporter that the protesters wouldn't talk to him. So he climbed up to the roof to take pictures. And then the reporter says he hung up on him. I mean, reporters' sort of experiences with Daryl Isa are always really funny to look into because he's—I think he— uh, Lee Fang, who's a reporter for The Intercept, tweeted once that Daryl Issa shoved him. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's such weenie-ish behavior. It's like yeah. weenie-ish fifth grade stupid behavior. It's so, it's so it's nuts. Crazy. So, I mean, I'm sure that uh, he will keep coming up pretty much every week because I don't, he can't keep himself out of the news. He's our favorite weenie. Wealthy <laughs> auto theft arson weenie. <laughs> Our next weenie is Jared Kushner, and of the weenies, he is the one who looks most like a weenie if you shaved him, and also if it was of... <laughs> if you shaved him. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Like his head and arm hair? Okay, but I, okay, what I meant by that is if you shaved a weenie. No, weenie. if you shaved a weenie, it would look like Jared Kushner. Oh, a shaved weenie. A shaved weenie. But also if you shaved Jared Kushner, he would look even more like a weenie, too. <laughs> okay. Either way. It, the joke works in two ways. The joke is flexible. Okay. So he is now—he's a weenie because he is now a person of interest under federal investigation for trying—reportedly trying to secure a back-channel direct line to Vladimir Putin in December, so before Trump was president, but he had won the election— and the Times reports that he was found in a room last December with a Russian banker whose bank is associated with Russian intelligence and which is still under sanction from the U.S., which is, like, really an unfortunate place to find yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's also definitely, well, I don't know. I, I just wonder how many times somebody has stretched themselves to treason in pursuit of, like, rich puss. <laughs> Not to be so gross, but, like, we can say it. The thing that's crazy to me about Jared, and I'm not the first person to to say this, but I have personally never heard him speak, and I can't stop imagining what, what it might sound like. He is like a wraith who is just always he in the background of a phone. He just sort of hovers. <laughs> and is so tall. With his dimples, just kind of, like, standing there and looking, looking upset. Looking well, just so also neutral. Blank. So just blank. I think I'm just thinking of one photo where he looks upset. Has yeah, has anyone that neutral looking ever like aggressively and over and over and over again met with Russians? I do feel like he is <laughs> hypnotized by Ivanka and I mean not literally, but just like so under her control that she's like, do this for her. Well, here's here's what I think. What I do you I feel think? like a real radio VJ right now because I'm like <laughs> literally speculating on nothing. <laughs> 
I'm like, okay, here's what I think happened. No, just run with it. I want to know where you're going to go with this. Okay, here's a fantasy that I have. It's not based on anything. That of the power dynamics. It's that Jared is kind of grateful to be married to Ivanka because she's very beautiful and probably a very, like, powerful personality in real life, whatever, who wouldn't want to be married to Ivanka. I feel that, like, he started working with her father and Donald Trump, and she was like, yeah, do whatever he says. We are getting him elected. Be his right-hand man. He really trusts you, Jared. Do this for my father. And then accidentally he's done a bunch of things without thinking because I'm sure he's not very smart. (laughs) That he's found himself committing treason on behalf of Ivanka. I have sort of the opposite feeling. You think he's very malicious and I think he's very malicious. I mean, I think he's very incompetent, but also very malicious, which is like a beautiful marriage that we keep seeing over and over again in this administration. Like so malicious, but also like so bad at everything and stupid. Right. Um, I think that Ivanka, you know, grew up in a very, very— very patriarchal situation, sure. and I don't necessarily see her running the show in her marriage. Completely. Oh, in her marriage, uh, I think she is such the alpha in her marriage. Really? I mean, I, mean, I, who can I don't say? know. I mean, you've never heard Jared talk. We have no idea. <laughs> no, we are literally spitballing. This is this is not this journalism. is what this is what um, <laughs> they are doing to us. Is that we are just thinking out loud about? <laughs> These two idiots and what their marriage might be like. Who cares? I'm sure, honestly, let's be real. In their marriage, I'm sure when they're at home alone, they just sit there silently staring at a wall. Yeah. Like I they have nothing Jared's to like, say. Jared's like on his iPad. <laughs> yeah. Ivanka's like doing some Pilates on the mat. Right. Yeah. Theodore and Arabella are playing they're with a cute. nanny, yeah. being sweet. Yeah. Um, maybe lighting some Shabbos candles. But, um, yeah, <laughs> just to reiterate, maybe. we don't care. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but for those of you who are interested in hearing Jared's voice, here it is. Just kidding. <laughs> That's Robin Schlotz, a wonderful 14-year-old singer, <laughs> singing Queen of the Night. Here it is actually Jared's voice. The the people I've dealt with have all been, I'd say, number, for, first and foremost, of high integrity. Uh, you know, a handshake means something. That was really satisfying for me personally, <laughs> just to, like, know. So our last and final weenie is Sean Hannity. Um, Ugh, I hate this dude. He's really the the freaking worst. He's the worst. Um, Sean Hannity has always been kind of a conspiracy peddler and just generally a malignant poodle of a man. <laughs> but he's really ratcheted it up recently. I um, think he's—I don't want to say—he doesn't seem well. He seems his his like his brain is inflamed. He definitely seems— like, at some point, he really started to believe what he was saying, which I, I don't think I always felt. He's also, he's also become very frantic. So frantic. I think I that, that's why—because imagine if, like, the world was how Sean Hannity says it is. Right. So scary. So, so scary. Uh, terrifying. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Like, hell is coming for us all, according yeah, to Sean Hannity. Yeah, there's a conspiracy that he's figured out that nobody is listening to him right. about. Um, so he did something just really, really horrible. Um, he continuously and unabashedly has been promoting absurd conspiracy theories about the 2016 murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. 
Um, and he's doing it so much that the family of Seth Rich has told him to stop, has begged him to begged stop. Him to and it's stop. also impeding any sort of investigation into his death because. Yeah. Police think it was a, a botched armed robbery, um, but they haven't found the killer yet. Um, Fox News also published and reluctantly retracted. And tiny, tiny little note on their website. It's crazy. Reluctantly retracted a story that suggested Seth Rich was murdered for leaking information to WikiLeaks. Um, but even after it was retracted, Sean Hannity was like, mm, I'm not Fox News. I'm Sean Hannity. And I'm, I'm, fo- <laughs> I'm not FoxNews.com. He said. Oh, yeah, he did. He said, I'm not HTTP <laughs> slash foxnews.com. That is um, what he said. <laughs> and I am not backing off asking questions, even though there is an effort that nobody talk about Seth Rich. Now, I've interviewed Julian Assange on radio and TV many times, and I've asked him about where those WikiLeaks DNC emails came from that resulted in Debbie Wasserman Schultz firing. This kid got shot in the back. They said it was a robbery, yet he had his watch, his wallet, and, and his phone. I don't believe it's a robbery. He kept going, and he said he finally said he would stop, quote, for now, after Rich's Ugh, family begged him so personally. Gross. So now he's just sort of happily moved on to just generally insisting that the Russia investigation is the real conspiracy. The rhetorical vibe of the far right is sort of like a sobbing middle schooler. It's like, no, you're the real conspiracy. Like, no, you're fake news. It's, yes. it's like very much always that. And it's people— trying to, like, put blame on these, like, completely random disparate parties Mm -hmm. because they can't come to grips with what's going on. things up. We have a segment. We don't know the name of it, but for now we're calling it Tiny Heroes. I don't know why. I liked, I liked it. <laughs> I, it made sense to me on okay, the page. Okay, good. So Tiny Heroes, it's people who are fighting back in their own special ways and just like we live in a, in a crazy time, but like these people make it kind of bearable. They're doing mm-hmm. small acts of resistance. Mm-hmm. The first is the dozens of New Jersey middle school students who refuse to pose for a picture with Paul <laughs> Ryan on their class trip. It's being associated with a person who puts his party before his country. I just can't imagine. Like I'm, I'm sort of imagining um, Paul Ryan's like wooden smile <laughs> as he notices <laughs> what's like, happening. Okay. Just like his his eye barely twitching in response. Yeah, and he's like, "Yep, this yeah. is fine. Okay. I'm okay." <laughs> and then he's gonna go and like furiously master Bade in his band. <laughs> like, oh, continue that word. Um, yeah, that's that was really fun. Um, go, you know, middle school students, You're sometimes the they do good things. Yeah. Um, another tiny hero was um, the dexterous French fingers of <laughs> Emmanuel Macron, um, the new president of France, who just 
freaking squished. He squished them. Donald Trump's hand in the in the most intense handshake ever. And then he literally in an interview was like, oh yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah. He said he did it on purpose. I that mean, rules. It was, yeah, that whole day was crazy. It, there was this first handshake and then while Macron was walking towards a group of these um, leaders and Trump was in the front after pushing the prime minister of Montenegro out of the way, he was walking straight towards Trump and then at the very last minute, he just sort of veered over to Angela Merkel. <laughs> Wouldn't do that. And then kind of finally made his way to Trump. Trump yanked his arm, like just sort of like, Gave him the, the oh yeah I hate that the yank. Trumpiest Yankeeest handshake ever and Trump was probably thinking I I won the second round and then he fell asleep in a chair in the sun <laughs> later that day yeah a big day the other night um I was in bed and my boyfriend was in the living room reading the news or something and I was like falling asleep kind of and then I heard him say to no one because there's no one in the house he just said Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> Because he was just trying to pronounce it. Um, Joanna's boyfriend was telling me at a party that Joanna was in this, like, French immersion program over the summer, and he had to learn French to talk to her in, like, the cafeteria. He or did else do they that. It was in trouble. It was really nice. Yeah. Joanna, and, will you just say Macron for us? Emmanuel Macron. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But it was funny that we live in a time where just, like— Normal boys are sitting in their living room saying Emmanuel Macron to themselves. <laughs> We're all really We're going all crazy. Really We're not okay. <laughs> and now for our dick of the week, Donald Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement. As of today, the United States will cease all implementation of the non-binding Paris Accord and the draconian financial and economic burdens the agreement imposes on our country. So the Paris Climate Agreement is a historic agreement between virtually all of the world's nations, um, with the exception of Syria and Nicaragua, um, to combat climate change. Um, it is non-binding, and there are not direct consequences for countries that don't live up to their respective targets. It's more of a diplomatic pressure kind of situation. Countries developed different pledges based on a number of factors, including where they are in terms of development. Um, the U.S. under Obama pledged to cut emissions to 26 to 28 percent below 2005 emissions levels by the year 2025. The collective goal is to keep global temperature rise well below 2 degrees Celsius, above which scientists have concluded we will be totally fucked. Current pledges would not be sufficient under those standards, um, but baked into this agreement is another agreement to meet again every five years to ramp up these pledges. Um, this has major international consequences, not only for the physical Earth, but for the agreement, because maybe it could give other countries an out and kind of collapse this major diplomatic achievement that has been decades in the making. But on Wednesday, the European Union and China did reaffirm their commitment to the agreement, even in the face of Trump's pulling out of it. It's hard to even wrap my head around what a catastrophic mistake this is. Um, and it's kind of compounded by the fact that Trump is really— channeling 
like a ghoulish nightmare bachelor and but instead of like having the power to pick his fiance from 25 like sort of Christian uh, Instagram influencers <laughs> he's deciding whether to accelerate the destruction of the planet like I, it's it's really really nuts he's <laughs> he's like Chris I can't decide should I pick the girl that everyone likes or should I go with my gut and propose to the 23 year old with a mood disorder who keeps a knife under her pillow <laughs> Like it's it's weird because this is always even on these shows it's it's usually a pretty obvious decision and often they make the wrong one. It's just very much the American way to not only fuck up our own shit but to also just make sure everybody else's shit is really fucked up as well. Like we're not just going to destroy our little country. No, Donald Trump is like storming out of his kindergarten classroom and like pouring a <laughs> bottle of paint on everybody else's paintings because right. his was like not that good. And on their heads. And on, also bit. on their yeah. heads like for no reason. <laughs> for no reason. Well, because his supporters want it. <laughs> yeah. Because someone egged him on yeah. like in the bathroom earlier. <laughs> Now joining us is Annie Petsong, International Counsel at the Environmental Defense Fund. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Um, so I just want to move right into it. Um, not to be too much of a masochist, but can you describe how difficult it was to get this thing signed in the first place, referring, of course, to the Paris Climate Agreement? The Paris Climate Agreement is the product of 20 years of negotiation on climate change. It was enormously difficult. You've got uh, over 190 countries in the world. Each one has their own uh, priorities about uh, what they're worried about with regard to climate change. Some countries are worried that they're going to get inundated, like the terrible storms we're seeing and and flooding in, in Bangladesh right now. Other countries are worried that if the rest of the world stops using fossil fuels, then and they're major oil exporters, it's going to hurt their income. So it took many years of negotiations, and there were some failures at the beginning, but it's it's a done agreement, and it has enormous global support. Um, what do you anticipate the impact will be? Well, first, I think the rest of the world is going to say, United States, we're, we're tired of waiting around for you. They're going to go ahead with tackling the biggest environmental challenge of our time and go ahead with their commitments to cut emissions and develop new technologies. And we're going to be left behind from that. You know, I'm from Pennsylvania, and my hometown is in the heart of coal and railroad country, and a lot of my uh, friends from growing up, there just aren't the jobs that there used to be. The new industries of the future are going to be renewable energy industries. When you go to my hometown and you stand on a mountaintop near it, you see windmills. And people can be employed there building those windmills and building uh, uh, solar power arrays and things like that, to generate jobs and generate electricity. We walk away from that. We're walking away from that leadership. And other countries are already saying, if the U.S. backs out of the Paris Agreement, we're not going to deal with you. The German 
trade minister said a little bit earlier today, the United States, oh, you want to negotiate a new trade agreement with us? Well, if you're not in the Paris Agreement, why should we negotiate a trade agreement with you? Yeah, I mean, the U.S. already dropped out of the Kyoto Protocol um, under the Bush administration. What do you think exiting our second climate pledge will do to the United States' credibility abroad? I think the rest of the world saw when the U.S. backed out of the Kyoto Agreement, uh, the United States refused to join it and said the Kyoto Agreement doesn't have uh, obligations for all countries in it. So the United States went back to the drawing board and got obligations for all countries. And that's the Paris Agreement. And it destroys U.S. credibility around the world if if each time the U.S. uh, makes another demand and then says, oh, you got an agreement that meets that demand? We've got another demand. It's kind of whack-a-mole and the rest of the world is not going to play along with that. A few experts have been saying that if the Trump administration stayed in the agreement without actually following our pledge, he could weaken it from within. Do you think there's a chance that it could be in the best interest of the rest of the world for Trump to leave, considering the possibilities of how his administration would behave within the agreement? There are definitely people who feel that way. I happen to feel that it's good to have people engaged internationally even if they're at the table in the agreement, but they're saying, well, we can't uh, do the pledge that we put forward. We want to weaken that pledge. There's still a lot of other important things going on in the agreement where solid U.S. leadership could be helpful. But if the administration would be at the table basically chipping away from the inside, that would not be constructive. And people have seen that before. Um, There was a time period in the early days of uh, the George W. Bush administration when the U.S. delegation came into the agreement and basically stalled all the discussions, said you can't talk about anything in the future. You can only talk about stuff in the past. It was really ridiculous. And I think over time, when the Bush administration had to be in the agreement and be face to face with countries that are experiencing the brunt of climate change and then see the impacts here in the United States of the kinds of things that climate change can bring, like Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana and Mississippi, the Bush administration then began to engage more in the international arena. So I would much prefer that the administration stay in and at least have to sit across the table from their negotiating partners every meeting and hear the concerns of those partners And maybe that would get through to people. Even though we are one of the biggest polluters in the world, is there any way that our leaving could not have a terrible impact? Do you think that it's possible for other countries to fill the void that the U.S. is leaving? Well, you know, China is now the biggest carbon emitter in the world. The U.S. historically was and I think historically has contributed the most to the buildup of the gases in the air. But the, the Europeans and the Chinese are getting together and saying, we'll lead this thing in the absence of U.S. leadership. And U.S. states are coming to the table now, U.S. cities, people across the United States are saying, well, if the administration won't lead, get out of the way. We will. Are there any countries that are particularly likely to weaken their own pledge once the U.S. has proven that it's people can do that 
And how can the remaining countries sort of avoid that outcome? There are a couple of ways. And, and first, I think it's important to look at who in the United States is pushing the president to get out of the agreement. When you read the news stories about what the debate has been inside the White House, you see that uh, some of the people who've been uh, opposing uh, the Paris Agreement and pressing the president to get out are people who actually have opposed any initiative to deal with climate change for two decades. Um, Grover Norquist mentioned a bunch in the news, Americans for Tax Reform, his organization was part of a secret plan back in the late 1990s to make climate science appear out of touch with reality. I'm quoting from their secret plan. And their secret plan said, unless climate change becomes a non-issue, meaning that we defeat the Kyoto Protocol and there are no further initiatives, there may be no moment when we can declare victory for our efforts. Their game is an ideological game. They want to isolate America from the rest of the world, and they want other countries to weaken their commitments because the United States has weakened their commitments. And so while there may be some countries who decide to weaken their plans because of a U.S. withdrawal or a U.S. Uh, rollback of the Clean Power Plan, most of the countries and most of the governments that I've talked with, most of the ones who've expressed views on this in the climate treaty process have said, we know what the game is here. We know what those who are pressing the president to get out really are up to. And we know that climate change is a huge problem and we're going to go ahead. When they do that, they are going to feel that if the United States stays back and weakens its plans, that that's unfair to them. The president says, oh, this agreement's unfair to us. If the United States, first of all, that's not true. And secondly, if the United States backs out, the rest of the world is going to feel that the United States is the one that's not behaving fairly. And they may impose trade sanctions on us. And they would be perfectly justified in doing so. That also goes against like the GOP party line that says that the Paris Agreement is bad for the U.S. economy and that pulling out would allow us to flourish. I'm not an economist, but that <laughs> doesn't feel right to me. Do you, I mean, do you have any opinion on that? In the absence of the Paris Agreement, in the absence of measures to cut pollution from it, it, all the things that we see polluting in our in our daily lives. I was going to, taking my son to school last week and was behind a really polluting school bus. And my son looked at the crap coming out of the back of the bus. And he said, mommy, that's a school bus. How can it be doing that kind of pollution? There are places in the world that have solar powered buses. We could be building solar powered school buses in the United States. It takes a regulatory signal. It takes government committed to do it. And it, to me, um, leaving the, the the polluters to pollute as much as they want and not bringing the U.S. to the forefront of technology innovation, that's what hurts. It hurts our kids' lungs, it hurts our jobs, and it hurts our country. So is there any way for states to pick up the slack that the federal government isn't? Can states pass enough regulations to make any sort of impact on their own? Absolutely. They can't pick it all up. But look, what California's done. California, the world's sixth largest economy, has a cap 
on the carbon pollution from all the major carbon emitters across the state. And they're implementing that cap in a way that it, it spurs competition and invites the great innovation engines that are in California's innovators and, and uh, startup companies to come up with better, cheaper, faster ways of cutting that pollution. Um, other states, a number of other states have gone ahead with these kinds of programs. And in states that have not, there's still a lot of interest in trying to figure out how they can get to be part of the new clean energy economy. One last question that I have been thinking about this whole time while you've been talking. Um, as an environmental lawyer who's been working on this issue for decades, are you feeling okay? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I can't imagine what it's like to to see sort of your life's work being blitzed like this by someone like Donald Trump. Well, I have a family, so I have to take the long view here. And the it, well, it is uh, it's disheartening to some to see, and and it is disheartening to see President Trump himself will uh, will get the United States out of this very important agreement. My work is geared toward, uh, and the work of so many of my colleagues and of of uh, teachers and entrepreneurs, and uh, my dad was an engineer. Engineers all, all over this country to recognize that our pollution is causing the climate to change and that we can do something about it. And if the federal government won't, then we in our communities and in our companies and in every corner of America, we need to do that. We have to step up and we can do it. Annie, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for your work. Thank you and thank all your listeners. time for the segment in our show where we take a minute to talk about something that's not politics, but instead how we're dealing with a very stressful world. It's called How to Handle the Dicks. Ellie, are you handling the dicks? And if so, how are you doing it? Joanna, honestly, um, I have not been handling the dicks well. <laughs> I would say that this Paris uh, climate decision has really been freaking me out, and I've been staring at Twitter and Instagram a lot. Um, but I did just go to my college reunion in Ohio and sort of in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't check my phone for several days wow. and sort of just ran around in the grass and, like, stared at people that I didn't talk to in college. Um, and it was really fun. That's great. I know. It's always weird, though, when you um, haven't looked at Twitter in, like, two days, then looking at Twitter and what's happening. It's so overwhelming. So much has happened. Yeah. I mean, Kofefe, for example. for example, wow. <laughs> How are you handling the dicks, Joanna? Um, I'm very obsessed with skincare. And oh, yes. I think it's because, I mean, whatever, I'm obsessed with it and it's good to have something to be obsessed with. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think it's because I'm actively trying to, like, keep out the signs of the world from my face right. and of aging. And I'm like, if I have perfect skin, nothing 
is affecting me and I look as if I'm a baby. Yeah. And nobody will know any different. If I put on enough anti-aging cream, none of this is happening. Right. It's like time's <laughs> not passing. It's like I'm it's gonna wake real. up from a cryogenic coma. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm gonna be twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow we'll be twenty three. <laughs> tomorrow I'll be seventeen years old and I'll still have to apply to college. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been feeling like I need to get really into skincare, so I'm glad that you reminded me of oh, this. Oh, I'm glad to remind you. <laughs> it's become a very pricey habit, and I'm currently using one sample of a very fancy lotion, Ooh. and I am really at the bottom of it, and I don't know what oh, I'm going to yeah. do. Maybe you're going to have to buy the whole thing, Joanna. I'm going to have to buy the whole thing. Oh, shit. <laughs> but the only place I can buy it is like a, like a spa. So I have to go into a spa to buy. I'm gonna have to go to a spa, so I might as well just get a facial. I know. I mean, <laughs> if only if only I had the funds. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's end there. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and thank you so much to Annie Petsonk for joining us. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mondin Amofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader, and the episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Got a big-time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Friday, and who knows what the world will look like then. 